Production support comes from Smithville, a locally owned business serving central and southern Indiana since 1922 with residential and business internet, voice, and security services. Smithville, local pride, global technology. Information at smithville.net. And from IU School of Public Health Bloomington, addressing public health needs by preventing disease, promoting health, and improving quality of life across the state and around the world through research, teaching, and community engagement. Offering undergraduate and advanced degrees. publichealth.indiana.edu. Welcome to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Zaltzberg, editor of the Herald Times, along with co-host Sarah Whitmire, the News Bureau Chief for WFIU and WTIU. And uh, today we're going to talk about the Affordable Care Act. Uh, as most of you know, many of you know, the federal health care insurance marketplace went online last week, and that website has had uh, numerous difficulties. People have been experiencing a lot of trouble uh, trying to get onto the site. Uh, a lot of people have questions about coverage, what the Affordable Care Act means for them um, and means for hospitals, patient care, the whole gamut. We're going to talk about those things, try to give you some answers. The in- intent is to give you information and answers, although we won't shy away from uh, some of the political discussion, I'm sure, today as well. We have three guests in the studio. Uh, Rob Stone is here. Rob is an MD and the director of Hoosiers for a Common Sense Health Plan. David Meyer is with us. He's an organizer of the ACA Volunteers of Monroe County. And Seth Friedman is a professor from the School of Public and Environmental Affairs, and he's an expert in health policy. Uh, so if you have questions or comments, please phone us at 855-0811 or 877-285-9348. You can also join a live chat at wfiu.org slash noon edition. And you can follow us on Twitter at noon edition. So thanks for being here, everybody. It's a big, timely topic. Good to be here. Thank you. Thank you. And Sarah was here last week. I had to miss the show. But as Sarah said right before the show, a lot of people want to talk about this issue last week. So we've... Uh, we did, we're dedicating a whole show to it. We have the folks here today who can answer those questions. Right. And David Meyer, you are the organizer of a, a, a group called ACA Volunteers of Monroe County. So that your whole organization, your plan is to answer these questions for people, right? Uh, that's pretty much it. Uh, <laughs> actually, it's twofold. One is to uh, is is to reach out to the community and try to get the message out to as many people who uh, people who are uninsured today in Monroe County uh, that there is an opportunity, that there is such a thing as the ACA marketplace. And that's an enormous challenge because, uh, of course, the political debate about the Affordable Care Act has drowned out the kind of useful information on what's available to the people who are uninsured in our community. So... Mm-hmm. That's part of it. Half of it is, is, is trying to reach out and get that basic information out that there is an opportunity that they should be looking into. And the other half of it is to actually build out uh, community events uh, in combination with the city of Bloomington and IU Health Bloomington that will allow for uh, residents to come in who have specific questions, who need some help with uh, what to do next, um, and we're calling those – we have a couple different kinds of events, one of which we just held last uh, Tuesday in the library, which was a kickoff event. And we have mm-hmm. another kickoff event, which is just a general uh, outreach event uh, for anybody that wants to have initially have questions answered. That will be next week uh, in mm-hmm. the library on uh, the 17th at uh, 7 p.m. Okay. But all of that is building to uh, what we call individualized educational experiences. And those are our new health coverage community fair events. And those will begin the week of the 21st of October and continue for every other week in the community until at least the end of the year and possibly beyond, depending upon demand. Now, this has been rolled out for the last couple of years. I mean, there's been a lot of information available, but, of course, it's a very complex issue, and a lot of people don't pay attention until the very last minute. So when you have reached out to people, what have you found out? I mean, is there, you know, is there a very high level of knowledge about it or a very low level of knowledge about what's available? Well, it runs the whole gambit. I think the people that come out to our events are, are uh, are often confused, and that's why they're there. Um, so uh, we're hearing from the people who are, uh, certainly have lots of questions to ask. So in our event on Tuesday, 
Uh, we had a, 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 a whole gambit of questions from uh, whether the Affordable Care Act marketplace insurance could be used for them because they had Medicare coverage and they needed Medigap coverage. And the answer is no, it can't. Um, that was would be one extreme. Another extreme uh, would be somebody that's waiting. Uh, some of our difficult questions at that session, and there weren't really any easy questions, but some of the more difficult questions included questions like some uh, one person that was uh, had a disability and uh, was in the qualification process for Medicare to cover that disability. But for a couple of years, the process it was going to take a couple of years for that processing to take place. So in the meantime, could she get a marketplace plan uh, from from the uh, Affordable Care Act? And we didn't have a good answer for her yet, and uh, and so we'll see whether we get uh, better answers going forward. But there are many, many questions. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have a question that's come in from a caller. Uh, it's a big question. Who is eligible? But there's a secondary question, I think, is what he was wanting to get at. Is, are citizens only eligible? Do you have to be a citizen of the U.S. to be eligible? I can handle that one because that's part of the information that we're handing out at these uh, events. So that's uh, you know basic information of how, who's qualified uh, at, a, at a course level, and uh, you know kind of what do you have to do to prepare if you want to apply, and then where do you go for more help if uh, your questions were not adequately answered by uh, by one of these events. So. Uh, the basic who's in and who's out is uh, fairly straightforward. If you're, you have to be a citizen of the U.S. or uh, somebody here who's legally, so you have to have uh, documentation, immigration documentation. You cannot be uh, in prison uh, unless you are wa- awaiting uh, disposition. So if you're awaiting trial, then you are in. You could apply. Uh, but if, you're, uh, if, you're, if you uh, are convicted and in prison, then you're not eligible. Uh, you have to be below the age of 65. Uh, this is, uh, n- does not affect people with Medicare. Uh, and, uh, and then it gets a, a little muddier in two other areas of qualification. One is if you have uh, insurance from your workplace. So if you have insurance from your workplace, uh, you actually can get insurance through the marketplace, but you're not eligible for any subsidy. And so it could be a very expensive undertaking, if, particularly if you were, being, if you were getting a, a contribution from your employer to, uh, to pay for part of the, your premiums at, at work. But uh, it's really the target audience is the people who are uninsured in the community. So if you have insurance at work, there are some criteria for the adequacy of that insurance. So if you had a a plan that was offered you at work in which your employer was paying very little and the percent of your income was very high that you had to pay in order to, in order to cover that, uh, those premiums, uh, that could qualify you to, to, for, one, for support and application in these marketplace plans. Uh, other things that, in those workplace policies that would qualify for you, uh, you for, for these plans include, uh, you know, kind of the adequacy of the coverage. So there's certain criteria within the adequacy of coverage. But basically, it's, it's not uh, a, an option or not considered to be an option for people who have insurance provided, decent insurance provided from their office. Mm-hmm. Now, the last one I've got, uh, this one will be a little faster, and the last one is the tough one, and that is the financial qualifications because uh, you are not eligible for the Affordable Care Act marketplace plans if your income is below 100% of the federal poverty line. Um, And so uh, the calculation of what is 100% below, what is that income level is based on modified gross income and it has uh, on taxes. And there's a lot to take into consideration, include ben- including benefits and other things. So it's very hard to come up with, you know, to sit with somebody and say uh, who's low income and say they're uh, they're covered or they're not covered by these plans. They just have to work through uh, kind of the spreadsheets and the system to get the answer. So if somebody is under 100 uh, percent, who covers them? Well, I, th- I think Rob Stone might be a good person <laughs> to answer that question. Well, the first thing I'd say is a valid 
a very valid criticism of the Affordable Care Act is that President Obama famously and repeatedly said, um, if you like the health insurance that you have right now, you get to keep it. And a more accurate way to say that is if you have health insurance right now, you pretty much have to keep it. Uh, offered through an employer that meets their criteria that David mentioned. Um, because the original, uh, some of the original talk about it was that people are going to have all these choices on the exchanges. But really, yeah, if you're, if you're covered by your employer, you don't really have, very few people are going to have useful choices through the exchanges. They're going to have to take their employer coverage um, because it will have to meet these requirements that we've already talked about uh, in terms of how good a coverage it is. But anyway, that's a valid criticism of the plan. Um, you know, in in 25-ish states right now, what David just talked about in terms of not being eligible uh, if you're under 100 percent is a non-issue because those are the states that um, – took the whole Affordable Care Act, and then in those roughly 25 states that have um, chosen to not expand Medicaid, and Indiana, of course, is one of those states, that's where these people fall through this this huge crack. Is <laughs> It's a chasm. Uh, and, and the incredibly ugly, painful irony is that you can be too poor to get help from the Affordable Care Act in a state like Indiana, which has chosen not to do, not to expand Medicaid as part of the Affordable Care Act's implementation. And we've talked about uh, the Medicaid expansion before in here, and you've got numbers, right, that would show how, how many Hoosiers would have been covered under, if Medicaid had been expanded, versus how many Hoosiers are covered under the, the plan that Governor Pence is pushing forward. So let me back up just a minute, and you can edit me down if I get too long-winded, which is a danger. Uh, But it all goes back to a year ago, July, when the Supreme Court ruled that the individual mandate of the Affordable Care Act was constitutional, but that the federal government could not essentially coerce states to participate in the Medicaid expansion, which which nationally was going to cover about half of the people that coverage was going to be expanded to through the Affordable Care Act. And so uh, Indiana has chosen not to uh, participate in the Medicaid expansion, even though it is an incredibly good deal for the state, because um, for the first three years, um, it would apply to somewhere around 400,000 Hoosiers. So roughly, there are about 800,000 Hoosiers uh, uninsured right now in the state. And in Indiana, the Medicaid expansion is estimated to would have brought in about four hundred thousand of those people under coverage, which would have, which is huge. I mean, it'd be the largest expansion of health care in Indiana since uh, nineteen sixty five. It'd be a, it's a huge deal. Um, but there and and so initially, when the program starts out, all these new four hundred thousand people would be covered one hundred percent by the federal government for the first three years, and then the state would pay a little bit uh, down to where well, the state would pay ten percent, and um, the feds would pay 90 percent. The current people in Indiana covered by Medicaid um, are basically, um, the state covers 40 percent of their cost, the feds cover 60 percent of their cost, um, and it is a significant piece of the Indiana state budget. And so the concerns that have been raised are, well, if we expand Medicaid and the state's going to have some liability for the cost, and it's going to be 400,000 people are going to get coverage, then uh, how much is that really going to cost Hoosier taxpayers, Uh, even though it sounds like it's a good deal because the feds are going to cover most of it? And so there's estimates ranging between 50 and $150 million a year uh, are what it's going to cost Hoosier taxpayers, and that's significant money. But the point I've I've made a few times in the past is that uh, actually it wouldn't cost us net anything would come out ahead. The Healthy Indiana Plan already uh, collects $121 million a year in taxes uh, and cigarette taxes to fund it, and that money could then be turned over to fund the Medicaid expansion because we could go on and on about the Healthy Indiana Plan, but we'll see if any callers call in about that. And then the other piece is that the the high-risk pool in Indiana. Indiana has a high-risk exchange called uh, by the mnemonic Ichia, and uh, the high-risk pool has a line item uh, in the state budget of $48 million, uh, and so $121 million, $48 million, that's already uh, above the highest estimate of $150 million that it would cost us every year. Um, the numbers kind of go on and on to make it 
absolutely clear that it would be really good economically for the state to do the Medicaid expansion. Besides, it would cover 400,000 people, which would save lives and make us healthier. Mm-hmm. Okay, I want to give our phone numbers again, then I want to turn to Seth Friedman for a second. But uh, uh, you can join us by calling 855-0811 or 877-285-9348. Seth, I have a question for you, but first I want to know if you want to respond or react to any of the things you've heard sure. so far. So just to pick up on what we were discussing with the people below 100% of the federal poverty line that will not be eligible for a Medicaid expansion in Indiana, one um, important thing that people would probably want to know is that if you do fall into that area and you cannot afford to go to the marketplace and buy full-priced coverage, you are also not made to pay the penalty of not having coverage. So those people who – and the people that – uh, that David talked about that are not eligible for help on the exchanges. Again, if you're exempt from being able to get a subsidy, you're also, for the most part, exempt from having to pay the fine uh, okay. of not having coverage. Okay. So who uh, – I just thought of a second question, but, but who, who are the people most likely to go to the exchanges? Um, the people most likely to go to the exchanges are, again, those who do not have insurance from their employer. Mm-hmm. Um, and are not eligible through Medicaid through the more traditional routes, mm-hmm. so low-income children and often their parents. Mm-hmm. Um, so child, low-income childless adults mm-hmm. are typically, and in a state like Indiana, are, are not eligible for Medicaid except for the few that come through the relatively new Healthy Indiana plan. Mm-hmm. Um, so lower-income families or people who do not get their insurance through their employer are the people who would be going mm-hmm. to the marketplaces. Now – Sarah, if you don't mind, let me follow up one more time. If uh, well, some of the things I've read is that, that as a policy, this policy um, will succeed, will have, has much more chance to succeed if younger people who feel like they're bulletproof now actually go to the exchanges and buy insurance. Um, can you explain that sure. a little bit and how likely is that to happen? Sure. So um, the the difficulty with insurance is that if insurers are able to set the price based on knowing your risk of getting sick, they would set the price uh, at a point that people who are relatively healthy would not want to buy the insurance because they say, well, that, that price isn't worthwhile for me to pay the insurance. I'd rather pay for my little amount of care that I receive. Then only sicker people are coming into the insurance pool. And so then the insurers are going to raise the price again because the average cost of the people they're insuring is now higher. And again and again and again until only the absolute sickest are able to afford insurance. Um, And so that's the idea behind the the mandate Mm -hmm. um, is that if we uh, mandate that everybody purchase insurance, that sort of brings down the average cost of the whole pool. Um, and also ensures people in the unlikely event that something very bad happens to them that they couldn't expect or couldn't predict. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it is certainly true that um, in order for prices to sort of stay at levels that we would want, um, younger people would have to join the pool and buy the insurance. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, you know, young people have a number of different options because of the Affordable Care Act, they can now stay on their parents' insurance until they're 26, uh, regardless of whether they're in college or not, whether they're working or not, uh, whether they're married or not, whether they live with their parents or not. They can stay on their parents' insurance until they're 26. Mm-hmm. Um, they can also go to the exchanges, and if their income is within the 100% to 400% of the federal poverty line, which for an individual is between about $12,000 and $45,000 a year, um, they are eligible for these subsidies that we've talked about. Um, and um, another interesting aspect is that there's a special plan just for young people. So for those under the age of 30, uh, you're allowed to buy a, ca- a catastrophic plan, which doesn't cover as much as the other plans are required to cover. It has very high deductibles, lower premiums, um, and sort of is only there in case you're in a, a major accident or something like that, uh, but if you're relatively healthy. so Rob? Yeah. Just one quick thing I would add to that in terms of the question of who who is eligible for the exchanges. Um, it's it's uh, very small business people, entrepreneurs, people starting new businesses are potentially going to be really uh, able to get 
at uh, healthcare, and it may help with this thing called job lock, where mm-hmm. people would love to start a new business, but they can't get insurance, health insurance. They don't leave their old job because they want because they got to keep their health insurance. So, mm-hmm. yeah, David. Yeah, that's uh, a good point, Rob. Uh, I had one person come to me and talk to me after the session that we had in the library on Tuesday, and uh, this person said, "You know, I was listening to what you said." And I was thinking about starting my own small business. And, uh, you know, I'm middle-aged, and, but I have health insurance from my business. And so now I'm thinking about this, like, what does that mean? And I said, well, it means that if you did quit your job and you did decide to start a small business, then you could get comprehensive insurance for the first time. And it wouldn't matter if you had diabetes even or something. You mm-hmm. could still get on the exchange because preexisting conditions mm-hmm. go away. Mm-hmm. Right. I think we should talk about how the subsidy works because the prices are set the same, but it's the subsidy that, that varies. Right. So let's talk a little bit first about how prices vary and then we yeah. can talk about how the subsidy vary. <laughs> In the different vary. plans. Right. And, so yeah. uh, the prices can vary based on a few things, but not nearly as much as what we typically think in insurance markets. So they can vary based on your age, your location, um, the size of your family and whether or not you smoke, and that's it. Um, if you have any pre-existing conditions, as Rob said, that cannot – first of all, you can't be denied coverage, and it also can't affect the price that you pay. Um, so age and family su- structure and, and smoking are the main things that affect the price. Um, and then um, the insurer can set the prices that they want. They, they can, themselves just can only vary along those, those criteria. And then on the marketplaces, there are uh, – different types of plans. You'll hear about these precious metals, bronze, silver, gold, and platinum. And basically what that means is um, the insurer can design the plan however they want, um, but in order to be in that category, they have to cover on average um, sort of an expected percent of your health care costs. So a bronze plan is expected to cover 60% of the costs of the health care that people in that plan receive. So the other um, 40% comes out of your pocket. That's right. The other 40% comes out of your pocket. Um, they're all required to cover certain preventative um, uh, care and things like that. And then they can sort of design the copays and the deductibles in the way they want to meet these different thresholds. And so for bronze, it's 60%, silver, 70%. Gold is 80% and platinum is 90%. Um, And then within that, the insurer can, as I said, design the plan and negotiate and create whatever network they sort of want as well. So the plans will differ based on the network of physicians. I I think that's a good point, though, too, because we're not – people aren't buying insurance through the, from the federal government. They're not being insured. That's right. You're buying – and in in Indiana, at least in Monroe County, I printed out – the plans that look like they're going to be available on the exchange, and they're almost all Anthem Blue Cross. So you're going to be buying an insurance policy from Anthem Blue Cross Blue Shield. You're not buying from the federal government. That's right. Mm-hmm. So I just wanted to follow up on one thing that Seth said. Uh, he talked about uh, the 60 percent uh, reimbursement on average of your, for your medical expenses uh, if you signed up for a bronze plan on the uh, ACA marketplace. One really interesting and amazing thing in, uh, in the new program is this notion of, uh, of, of preventative health services. And those, uh, we count uh, over 60 of them that are everything from mammograms for women over the age of 40 to uh, autism screening for children to, you know, you name it, there, it's, uh, uh, to an annual physical these are all uh, vaccinations. Uh, these are all considered to be wellness services, and they are not sub- subject to any deductible or any copays. They are just included. And so the relationship between you and uh, your doctor can change a lot through this, this new marketplace because now it's not just I'm sick, I go to the doctor. It's I'm well, I want to I remain well. And I have these free services, wellness services, and I go take advantage of them in order to stay well. And that's true outside of the marketplace plans as well. Um, the Affordable Care Act made that that requirement of providing preventative care for, for all insurance plans mm-hmm. as well. Okay. So. Rob? Well, I've got a question for you both. And so the, the, the subject came up of uh, the network. So you, you, you buy insurance from Blue Cross, and they give you a list of doctors and hospitals that you can go to. And um, around the country, this has 
been kind of one of the unexpected things that's come up. Some of these networks are very narrow. Uh, I think in St. Louis, Missouri, um, the, um, uh, the the big children's hospital there is uh, suing because uh, they're not included in any of the networks that are available on the exchanges. And so uh, if, you're, if, if your child is, if, is covered by a network policy, you're out of network if you go to, uh, if you need specialty care at the children's hospital in St. Louis. And uh, so my question for you all is, I have heard um, that the bronze plans available in Monroe County uh, would not allow you to go to Bloomington Hospital. You'd have to go to Monroe Hospital. That that's w- how, how narrow the network is in Monroe County. I've heard that, but I don't know if it's true. I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't know. We haven't seen the details of the plans yet. That's the that's one of the more frustrating things with the uh, federal uh, healthcare.gov site uh, not fully operational. The uh, details of the plan information are in, within that site, and you have to have that site working properly in order to get to them. So there's a lot of um, information gaps still on the actual plans themselves. I know a story we had in the paper today. We had a little section that said buyer beware because it is you have to be very careful about you know what you're – where you can go and what's in the network with, mm-hmm. with whatever you buy. Uh, we're going to uh, take a short break. If you have questions about the Affordable Care Act, now is the time to ask them to Noon Edition because we have a great panel of guests who are very knowledgeable. So uh, give us a call at uh, our phone number is 855-0811 in Bloomington or 877-285-9348. And we'll talk about the Affordable Care Act uh, after we take this short break. You're listening to Noon Edition. This is Noon Edition on WFIU. Production support comes from Smithville. Information at smithville.net. And IU School of Public Health Bloomington. Online at publichealth.indiana.edu. WFIU News covers south-central Indiana and the state each day. You can read news throughout the day as it's posted on our website at wfiu.org. And you can pick up a digest of all the top stories. It's like a newspaper delivered to your inbox each afternoon. It's a free and easy way to stay on top of not only the headlines, but also the in-depth audio, video, and print news stories you can't get anywhere else. Subscribe right now at WFIU.org news. Welcome back to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Zaltzberg from the Herald Times, along with co-host Sarah Whitmire from WFIU and WTIU. And we're talking about the Affordable Care Act today and trying to answer all your questions. We anticipate a very busy next 30 minutes or so. Uh, so we're going to get uh, right to the phones after I give you the phone numbers again so you can get get in line. 855-0811-877-285-9348. You can also join a live chat at wfiu.org slash noon edition. And when you call in or send us your question, our experts on the panel today, Rob Stone, uh, M.S. An MD and director of Hoosiers for a Common Sense Health Plan, David Meyer, the organizer of ACA Volunteers of Monroe County, and Seth Friedman, a scholar in health policy research and a professor from uh, the School of Public uh, and Environmental Affairs at Indiana University. So we're going to go right to the uh, – well, first we have a caller who didn't want to go on the air, but she said uh, she is going to be 65 years old in September which is after the cutoff for signing up. What happens if she does not sign up in the few months that she has? 65 next September? I'm confused. Uh, it says 65 years old yeah. in September. Must be next so September. Must be next September, yes, next yeah. September. Yeah, because this September is over. Yeah. So. yeah, September 14th. So in 11 months. So uh, you will be subject to the penalty if you do not have insurance on March 31st of 2014. Um, which actually I just saw in an article yesterday means that you actually have to have coverage on March 1st because that's when coverage typically begins for a month. It begins on the first of the month. And therefore, you have to buy coverage by February 15th. Okay, so that's important too, though, yeah. because this enrollment period right now, we've heard so much mm-hmm. that it, it started October 1. Mm-hmm. 
But it extends through the end of March. It extends through the end of March. Right. Anything you buy today doesn't actually start till January. So one of the reasons that people aren't too alarmed by the problems with the websites is that we have some time. And frankly, if you were to go on today and buy coverage for next January, you would have to pay today. And most people don't want to pay now for January anyway. Um, so and then these enrollment periods continue every year here. Every year there will be an open enrollment period from October through March. That's right. And luckily for her, I would hope she gets insurance. But the penalty the first year won't That's be right. much. $95 or 1% of your income, correct? And whichever is greater or less. Whichever is greater. And I don't know if it would be prorated, like if she started getting Medicare in September. I don't know if she would pay the full year's worth of the penalty or not. That's I'm not an sure. interesting question. Mm-hmm. I had a, couple, a little uh, clarification on that. One was, uh, as Seth was saying, that uh, either there's a lag period for signing up and, and then getting coverage. So for those who, who want coverage to begin as early as January 1, they have to have completed the process by December right. 15th. Right. And completing the process means the final step is actually making the first premium right. payment. So you have to make that premium payment by December 15th uh, in order to be covered for January 1. Okay. So we'll go now to the phones. Darren, it's on the line. Darren, go ahead with your question. Yes, I have two quick questions for the panel. One is, does the Affordable Health Care Act have any provision for, I guess, diminishing the health care costs that keep increasing? And I've been reading where if the patients are more involved in the process that can and and healthcare can become more competitive, and therefore that will bring down prices. That's the kind of question there, number one. Number two, a friend of mine is from California, and he said how great the Kaiser Permente healthcare plan was for state employees in California, and he's wondering why it's never mentioned on the news, because it does contain costs and provide good care. So I wonder if those two questions could be addressed. Rob, Seth, uh, from a standpoint of bringing down health care costs? Yeah. I'll turn this one over to Seth other than to say that another valid uh, criticism of the Affordable Care Act is that it does not c- contain a lot of uh, uh, proven effective health care costs um, uh, tactics or strategies. But on the other hand, it does contain a number of uh, trial balloons and uh, okay. s- tests, and, and we're experimenting. And it, that's probably politically the thorniest thing to do, because everybody agrees that we've got to cover more people. Uh, everybody agrees uh, pretty much that you know expanded coverage is a good thing. But uh, then everybody agrees that the other guy should either make less or pay more, <laughs> but not necessarily that I should <laughs> Yeah. So that, I mean, the Affordable Care Act was sort of intended to have two goals. One is coverage and one is costs. Um, And it certainly goes much, much farther towards the first goal of of coverage. Um, And you characterized it correctly. There are lots of experiments with things like changing how doctors are paid. They get paid uh, for the bundle of care they provide Uh um, instead of for every time you go in. Um, Things like... um, um, accountable care organizations where, again, uh, physicians are sort of intended to have more of a, to some extent, a financial stake in the upside or the downside of how, how efficiently you're cared for. And then there are things like um, decreases in some Medicare reimbursements, which um, um, are intended to bring down costs a bit as well. But um, there's sort of no, uh, there's no golden bullet in here to to uh-huh. bend the cost curve, as they say, but some things that might help us in that direction and help us figure out how to continue to tackle that problem. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. And what about Kaiser Permente? Does anybody know anything about that? Well, Kaiser doesn't have any operations in uh, Indiana. You know, it's formed in California. It has, uh, it, 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 you know, there's Kaiser in Colorado and in the Virginia and Maryland and places. But it's it's not a national program. It, it's But it's a place that where you enroll, you pay your premium, and they take care of you f- top to bottom. It's a little bit like our VA system for veterans. It's, uh-huh. uh, you know, physicians are uh, salaried employees. Uh, it's a total care system. Uh, internationally, it's like uh, it's a little bit closer to living in England where you have a, a, a national total care system, uh, although people don't usually make that comparison. Is this only for government employees then? No, no. Kaiser is uh, big employers uh, and uh, small employers and, um, you know, people who, who live around Kaiser programs tend to like them. Yeah. Any mm-hmm. chance of getting it in Indiana? 
I've heard no word to suggest oh. <laughs> it might be coming this way. <laughs> All right, Darren. Thanks a lot for the call. Okay. Uh, phone numbers again, 855-0811-877-285-9348. You can also join the live chat at org slash noon edition. We'll go to David on the phone next. David? Hi, yeah. Um, my dad is 62 years old, and he has a heart condition and uh, is self-employed and, uh, and uninsured. Um, can, can you give me some tips on maybe what we should do? I mean, the heart condition is quite serious. The doctors suggest, um, you know, a very expensive operation sometime in the next two years. Um, what, uh, what, what kind of situation is he in with, uh, with, with the Obamacare? Well, he, uh, this is Dave Meyer, he certainly, uh, he would be qualified for a marketplace plan if his income is, uh, is high enough, uh, if, he's, uh, if his income is over the federal poverty line. And so, uh, you know, when he looks at, at the plan options that are available, he needs to look at whether his doctors that he sees are in, that ne- in the network for the particular plan. He needs to look at the drugs that he has to take that are essential for his treatment uh, and look whether they're, where, whether they're considered to be formulary, you know, whether they're, whether they're covered or whether some equivalent drug would be uh, required in one plan versus another plan. So he's, uh, that's the kind of thing that you can help him with is, is those kinds of decisions uh, in, in review of, of, uh, of those things. And without knowing the details of his situation, uh, I would say that he is potentially a person who would be one of the big winners in the Affordable Care Act because this is a man uh, who probably is absolutely not going to be able to afford insurance uh, in the old system. So so bottom line is he would be eligible for one of these plans. It could pay 60, 70, 80, or 90 percent of his health care costs, depending on what he chooses, and his preexisting heart condition doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. That's right. Okay. Thanks. All right. Thanks, David. And now uh, Bob's on the phone. Bob from Bloomington? Yes, sir. Go right ahead. Uh, pardon me? Go right ahead. Okay. Uh, I am 69 years old. I, I have insurance. I am still working to keep insurance on my wife. She is nine years younger than I am, and she has multiple myeloma, which she's been in remission now for 18 months. She went through the stem cell transplant and everything, and I was just wondering what uh, she'd be eligible for this or not. So um, if you are working um, and you're offered coverage from your employer that meets the requirements that we were talking about earlier, um, that would be your best option would be to stick with that. Um, I'm going to retire. But if you're going to retire, then, as you said, you're 69, you would be eligible for Medicare, and she would certainly be, again, in this spot where she could buy a a plan on the marketplaces um, and not be rejected due to her preexisting condition. And depending on on your income, uh, you would potentially be eligible for subsidized premiums as well, for a discount on the premiums. So So, after when I do retire... I'll be drawing about $1,800 a month from uh, Social Security, and that will be our only income. Dave Meyer, does that – I know you'd need to look more closely yeah, I, probably. I'd have to look more, more – more closely, but it sounds like, it sounds to me like a marketplace plan would yeah. would meet her uh, would meet her needs. Mm-hmm. And I'm still, uh, and I'm 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 pleased that we have with the Affordable Care Act a system that may make her health care more affordable than it would be otherwise. But uh, I'm unfortunately. I'm I'm worried again without knowing the details that you're still you're gonna that there will be plans available to her which wouldn't otherwise because of that massive pre-existing condition she has, but on the other hand, um, even with uh, the way it's set up, it's going to be more expensive than you've been doing, and and I just want to yeah. point out that this is a, a big problem for women in in the country today, um, impacting women much more than men because so many women have husbands who are older or husbands who have deceased or has or have been divorced and women between age 60 and 65 in this country really have a hard time uh, getting health insurance today and much more than men in that same age group and you know my my preferred solution to all of this is that we actually uh 
lower the age of Medicare eligibility to birth. <laughs> and we just cover everybody because that, that's the way to really solve the problem. Well, we tried to get her uh, disability, you know, Social Security disability. And since she hasn't worked by the last 10 years, they denied it. So, you know, I'm somewhere between a rock and a hard spot. Absolutely, that's very hard. Yeah, you're gonna have you're gonna have a few more options anyway. Right. I I guess I could add one more thing. Is it sounds to me not not seeing the, the exact numbers, but it sounds to me like she would be eligible for a marketplace plan. You would be eligible for uh, she'd be eligible for premium support, and that would mean that the federal government would pay some portion of the premium, uh, and potentially uh, those who are who have an income of less than two hundred and fifty percent of the poverty line. You also become eligible at that level uh, from 250% to 100%. You become eligible for uh, expense subsidies as well. So those co-pays and deductibles uh, can be – you can get assistance with that in that income level. Dave, tell uh, Bob about your one-on-one opportunities that will be coming up. Well, what I was saying before is that, uh, you know, the, the city of Bloomington, IU Health, Bloomington, and, and the group that I manage, the ACA Volunteers of, uh, of Monroe County, are having uh, community uh, new coverage uh, health fairs uh, in the, currently scheduled for the central uh, Monroe County Library. Uh, and we're going to hold those starting on uh, October the 21st and then hold them every other week for, through at least the end of the year and perhaps beyond. And those are going to be opportunities for uh, for you or your wife to come in and actually sit down and talk to people. Uh, we'll, have, uh, we'll have people trained at different levels, uh, people who uh, come in who have never had insurance before. They'll be able to learn about the co- uh, basic concepts of insurance because with a employer-provided health care system, uh, health insurance system in the country, uh, people who are uninsured don't have HR departments to go to to uh, explain the complexities of health insurance. So we'll have people there that are going to that going to walk people through the basics of what they need to know about health insurance and and what's covered in the Affordable Care Act marketplace. And then we'll have also have people uh, that are have a higher level of training um, that will know the ins and outs uh, of the uh, ACA marketplace. Their particular focus is on the, the mechanics of making an application because it's not a simple process. It's multiple steps. And so we want to make sure above all else if people are qualified for a plan and they want, and they want to get one, that uh, you know, we're able to nudge them along the process so they don't get discouraged and, and give up and, and fail to get the health security, that uh, health care security that the whole ACA was intended to provide. All but right. la- last but not least, no, no. before people leave the room, we'll make sure that they have the uh, reference information on, uh, you know, that's a- a- appropriate to, to what they came in to seek, uh, the kind of information they came in to seek. And we're working also to see whether we can actually have people uh, in the room from IU Health that could assist with uh, making one-on-one appointments, uh, you know, to, uh, to really work through the application process itself because uh, our volunteers will not be able to do that mm-hmm. role. Okay, Bob, thanks a lot for the call. We hope we've helped you. All right, Sarah. Okay, the numbers to call eight five five zero eight one one. We want to go to the live chat here quickly. Some questions coming in. This one, okay, a little bit of the backstory. It's a husband and wife couple um, owned a small business. They're in their fifties. They've always paid for insurance out of pocket, but it's dipping too much into their savings. They can't afford it. So here are the questions: Is it true that people with income below the poverty level will not qualify for subsidies? And if so, are we supposed to apply for Medicaid? If that's the case, will we be put on the waiting list since we have no children? And must we cancel our existing health insurance for six months to be eligible for Medicaid? Seth? For Healthy Indiana, you have to cancel it. For Medicaid, you don't have to cancel the existing insurance. You're just out of luck because childless adults are not eligible for Medicaid uh, child, non-disabled childless adults are simply not able, uh, eligible for Medicaid under the current Medicaid coverage. However, if we had the Medicaid expansion in Indiana, 
they would potentially be very eligible for Medicaid. Right. And if, they're, if their income is above 100 percent of the poverty line, then they would be eligible for the subsidized coverage on the, on the marketplace. And um, so if, if you're at 100 percent of the federal poverty line, um, you would only pay up to a maximum of 2.5 percent of your income for your plan. Um, it would be – you would have the plan, the premium subsidized. Um, but again, if you're under 100 percent, then you – then do you know – do, do you have a chart there that says what that level is for a, a uh, So I have – so for yeah. an individual, 100 percent is 11,500. Uh-huh. For a family of four, it's 23,500. Yes. I don't have for a childless, childless couple. couple. Okay. Um, but it would be somewhere in between that 11,500 and 23,000. Right. And then 400 percent of the poverty line is 45,000. Uh, for an individual and 94000 for a family of four. Okay. Um, and the subsidies um, are sort of a sliding scale. Uh, so the lower your income, the larger the subsidy is. Um, so w- when you're at 100% of the poverty line, the subsidy makes it so that your premium is not more than 2.5% of your income. Or no, sorry. Uh, I thought I had that. Yeah, 2% of your income. If you're at 400%, the subsidy makes sure that it's not more than 9.5% of your income. Mm-hmm. Um, so, for example, um, yeah. So, so, so that's how the the subsidy works. They they give you the amount of money that would make, and this is actually a little more complicated, that would make a silver plan be equal to two percent, up to nine and a half percent of your income. You don't have to buy a silver plan. You can buy a bronze plan or a gold plan and get the dollar number the d- number of dollars that would make the silver plan equal to that percent of your income. So, And then if you buy one of those lesser plans, the difference is, you know, it's cheaper, but then when you go to the doctor, you're going to be That's paying right. more. That's right. And, and as was mentioned, there are also subsidies for cost sharing. So if your income, you said, was below 250 percent of the poverty line, then some of these deductibles and co-payments can also be subsidized. All right. Yeah. We'll go back to the phones. Uh, we have Mark from Bloomfield on the phone. Mark? Uh, thank you. Um, I have uh, two questions. Um, one, um, just want to preface it by saying it. You know, the word "complicated" seems to get <laughs> used in, in, in this conversation, and, and in so many you hear about um, this act. And um, it, it, it occurs to me that there's nothing that I can think of that was complicated and cheaper. Um, the, and the other thought I had was, you know. Was this? I know that this act was passed by uh, by starting out in a committee with Republicans and Democrats on the committee, and and things were negotiated, and and you know finally this act got passed. And, and I really wonder, you know, did we get something that was an executive decision that made sense uh, for the country in terms of real economy, or did we really get a political solutions, some of which might be sabotaged. And the other question I have is, along the same lines with the state of Indiana deciding not to um, uh, go along with, uh, you know, adopting this or expanding Medicare, you know, does that ultimately cost the state of Indiana more money because we still have a whole bunch of poor people going to the hospitals emergency rooms and people with worse health than if they had health care. And this, you know, so again, was this a, in any sense an executive decision that was made wisely or we see again another political decision based on to some degree sabotage? Mark, we have a lot. We have a lot of opinions and answers in this room. We have four minutes left to go. Three and a half minutes. So we'll <laughs> I'll try to be brief. <laughs> <laughs> So, so this is this is Rob Stone again. Um, you know, this uh, the Affordable Care Act was was actually initially conceived of by the Heritage Foundation, which is a, a very conservative think tank. Uh, it's a very bipartisan process that gave us this bill. Um, the Heritage Foundation then turned it over to uh, to Mitt Romney when he was the Republican governor of Massachusetts. And so, rather than Obamacare, you might better call it Romney Care, or maybe. That would be Rambamacare or Obama-rama or something like that. Uh, but, but by the time it got through the Senate, 
um, the bill um, you know became very polarized, and the original intention was that maybe some um, Republicans would vote for it. Uh, the only Republican that ever voted for the Affordable Care Act was just in uh, in committee. Uh, Senator Snow from Maine voted uh, a vote in favor of it in in committee, but then uh, in the larger bill, it's been totally become partisan. But I think it's important to remember that the roots of this bill are very bipartisan, and in fact, um, the original idea of expanding health care through the mandates was a Republican idea, not a Democratic idea, because the, the, at the same time this was born on the Republican side, the Democrats were really more focusing on expanding Medicare to cover everyone. Mm-hmm. David? I, I guess I could throw in one thing, and, uh, and that is uh, really in Rob's department, but our medical system, you know, our insurance system of reimbursement for medical care in this country is really uh, unusual in the world. I mean, it is un, uh, it's not like this in, in the rest of the world. Uh, and so we have a very complicated system, employer-based insurance. And you take that system, and very reasonable people decided to expand that system to, enco- uh, to encompass as many uninsured people as possible in, uh, in the country. Uh, but expanding that system, which uh, has it, is unique and and distinct, uh, you, you end up with a you know a horse designed by a committee. You know you end up with a camel, not a you know not a horse at the end of the process. Mm-hmm. Any uh, thoughts, Seth? I was just uh, I think you guys hit on two things, which is from a policy perspective, the Affordable Care Act is very interesting because it does have a lot of ideas from both sides, even though we don't hear that in the news right now. Right. And um, as David mentioned, I mean, we had a constraint, which was we had a quote unquote system in place and voters you know, were not interested in totally tearing that down that system. So the idea was to create something to fill in the gaps within that system. And we ended up with something more complicated, potentially. But um, Rob, you get yeah. 20 seconds. And briefly, to address your second question, you know, what are the other advantages of the Medicaid expansion? And there actually has been quite a bit of uh, published on this. But we think that uh, it would bring about $1.7 billion of federal funds into the state every year. And it would uh, probably create twenty or 30,000 jobs. And it would probably increase uh, tax revenues because more people would be working of over $100 million. And th- there are a lot of stuff out there about this. All right. We are out of time. I want to thank our guests today, Rob Stone, David Meyer, and Seth Friedman. For Sarah Whitmire, producers Gretchen Frazee and Emily Wright, and engineer Mike Pashkash, I'm Bob Zaltzberg. Thanks for listening. Edition is a production of WFIU and the Herald Times. A podcast of this and other WFIU programs is available at WFIU.org. Production support comes from Smithville, a locally owned business serving central and southern Indiana since 1922 with residential and business internet, voice, and security services. Smithville, local pride, global technology. Information at smithville.net and from IU School of Public Health Bloomington, addressing public health needs by preventing disease, promoting health, and improving quality of life across the state and around the world through research, teaching, and community engagement, offering undergraduate and advanced degrees, publichealth.indiana.edu.